Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That? And if you're just joining us, thank you very much for listening to our last one, because that was Susie Dent. And we both know <laughs> that's why you're listening to this one. Uh, it is a podcast where I and Dave Moore talk about random things that we find very interesting. And in the second half, we get an expert to back up uh, our various assertions. We are proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. And if you want to contact us and get us to look into something that you find interesting around the world, and we can delve into it in more detail, we are at Neil Delamere Comedy on Instagram, at Why Would You Tell Me That? And at Dave Today FM on Instagram as well. Hello, Dave. Hi, how are you? Yeah, hello to all the new listeners. And I'm sure there's plenty of returning friends here as well, and we should yes. also greet them. This is a great episode. I am so excited about this because it's a festive episode. We are very close to Christmas at the time of recording. Certainly at the time of broadcast, it's very close to Christmas. This will also, we should say, be the last episode of Series 2, Season 2. Never know what it is, a series or a season, but this version, this number two of Why Would You Tell Me That? We will be back, though, in February. So set your reminders now. In fact, you know what the best reminder? Subscribe. Simple as that. If you subscribe or follow or whatever the terminology is on the podcast app or whatever, you know, where you listen to this, that will let you know when we drop a new episode. We'll be back in full flow in February. But between now and February, there might be something in there. A little... A little uh, amuse-bouche of an episode somewhere. Oh, my God. I knew you were going to say that. That is so (laughs) bad that I knew you were going to say that. It's so Dave Moore. Is that what you're saying? No, it's so... Because I was going to say it as well. (laughs) (laughs) You're as bad as I am. Yes, exactly. That's why we both have notions. Okay, let me tell you about this week's episode. Okay, what we're going to do... I'm very excited for a number of reasons. One is it's festive, and I am Mr. Christmas. I do love Christmas. Number two is a returning guest... And not only is it a returning guest, but it's a pilfered returning guest. Neil Delmer doesn't know this, but I've stolen one of his guests from season one. <laughs> oh, you're a disgrace. That's not the Christmas spirit at all. <laughs> but the third thing about it, about this episode is I'm going to tell you about the most festive of all things. What is the most festive thing in the world, Neil? Would you say Christmas tree? Actually, the giving of gifts is the most festive thing in the world. No, it? no. The okay. most festive thing, festive thing in the world is virgin birth. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, yes, yeah. this, this is why we celebrate Christmas because the Virgin Mary 
Now, I still don't really understand how the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is sometime in early December, and in the, on the 25th of December, she was able to produce a fully formed human. But, you know, hey, it's all part of the Christmas spirit. Because, you disgraceful Catholic you, yeah. um, the virgin birth and the Immaculate Conception are two different things. Oh, well, I figured the virgin birth was the moment on the 25th of December when Jesus went, hey, I'm here. Yes. And the Immaculate Conception should have been nine months previous, not no. six days previous. No, because the Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of Mary without sin and not Jesus. That See? is part of the Catholic He's, he's already schooling me in my own episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but in part two, I'm going to tell you not about how there's a story about a lady who magically did something in 2000 years ago. That may okay. or may not be the case. I'm going yeah. to tell you about something that absolutely is the case. And have you heard of Parthenogenesis? Yes, it is. Um, Phil Collins started the band. <laughs> I think Peter Gabriel was involved at some point and they played only in old Greek buildings. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're wrong. It was actually the the guys in the Genesis videos. There's one guy who had a he had a bit part in every video. He goes somewhere and he goes, I had a part in the Genesis video. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh God, it is, that terrible. is terrible. Yeah, but I mean, it is Christmas cracker joke. It is, and you'd know it's the end of a series, and we're getting tired, and we're, <laughs> we're resorting to part in the Genesis videos. <laughs> is is it the bit in the first book of the Bible um, that <laughs> no, I, can't even, <laughs> I even bailed out that myself? I didn't believe in it. You're right about it. Parthenogenesis is an amazing naturally occurring phenomenon. And to talk about naturally occurring phenomena that don't happen in humans, okay. but they do happen in animals, we are bringing back the man behind the Myers Suriname Toad episode, oh, Mr. Simon Watt. He kept that quiet. I've been chatting to him about his other gig. Okay, so you've 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 stolen them away from me. He I was like so to think I what I've done is I have been so impressed. Mm. by his knowledge of evolutionary biology and all these things that he's an expert in, that I thought to myself, when I need someone to speak about parthenogenesis, who am I going to get? Not yeah. some Simon Watt pretender. I'm going to go for Simon Watt himself. So sorry, I stole his number out of your phone. I rang him and he said he'd do it. Okay, excellent. Well, any time we hear from Simon Watt is a good day for me. So as much as I'm annoyed that you stole one of my previous gets. He, there's enough Simon Watt to go around. There as, is, there as is. we said at that science fair struck orgy that time. <laughs> okay, but in part one, I'm not going to tell you about anything to do with the virgin birth and parthenogenesis. I'm going to tell you about crazy Christmas traditions from around the world. And Neil, you're going to love these. I don't know what you eat for dinner. Obviously, majority of people listening to this, I would think, would eat turkey and ham and spuds and whatever yeah. else, right? All around the world, there are different Christmas traditions. Where do you think it is the absolute norm to sit down with a bucket of KFC on Christmas Day? First of all, really? where is it open? Yeah, for like not like any fried chicken, specifically KFC. Is is it? It's be, okay. So it's not going to be Kentucky. It's not going to be no. America because no. otherwise you wouldn't be saying it. It's going to be a place that is fascinated with American culture, and it's going to be oh. Who are you, Sherlock Holmes? No, but it's going to be like the Philippines or or it's somewhere like that. Is it? No, I mean you're in the right continent, but it's a okay. very big continent. So I mean that's like saying you know you're kind, you're you're thirty percent of the way there. 
Okay. Uh... Obsessed with American culture, I think, is is fair. Certainly, at the period when this became such a big phenomenon, super obsessed with American culture. Like most, a lot of us are obsessed with American yeah. culture yeah, in fair. one way, shape, or form. Um, so it's in it's it's not Russia then, obviously, because I no, mean that no. would have been that would have been <laughs> that would have been a, a fairly brave choice. I would imagine <laughs> under Khrushchev. Yeah, we're, we've we've put missiles in Cuba, but oh my god, that bucket looks fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, Japan. No. Yes, is it? So in the 1970s, KFC entered the Japanese market as a fast food restaurant. Okay. But it was late in the year and they went, oh, well, how are we going to make noise as we launch here? Yeah, sure, we've got the American thing behind us and the Colonel Sanders lookalike guy or whatever the hell it is is on the big. What are we going to do? So because it was late in the year, they went, well, let's just push it for now as, a, as Americans say, holiday food. Yeah. So they push it because they don't celebrate Christmas on December 25th in Japan the way we do here or in America for that matter. But they pushed it as the holiday food from America that this is what Americans would eat at Christmas time. And it worked so well in the advertising that it is now standard for more than 3 million Japanese people who on December 25th go and get a bucket of fried chicken from KFC. And this is their traditional, I suppose this is what Americans do at Christmas time. So that's one of those things like, so Americans think that Irish people say a top of the morning to you, which has never happened in the history of humanity. <laughs> no no one has ever said that. And you know how much it annoys us and you do it anyway. So the, <laughs> Americans, that, the Americans that live here do it deliberately. Um, some Japanese people think that Americans do, but they don't actually do that. That's amazing. And also uh, Christmas, for some reason, has turned romantic in Japan. So it's kind of like Valentine's Day. You go out for a date with someone and you go to a KFC. That's the standard Christmas book tradition in Japan. Ooh. Can I just say, by the way, if you are listening to us from England or Wales, uh, there's a very good chance that you won't be eating turkey this Christmas because there is a shortage of turkeys. There's, there's uh, no obviously way. bird flu. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in London or Birmingham or, or Swansea or whatever and you go to your butcher and your butcher goes, oh no, we've loads of turkey. We've absolutely loads of turkey. You're eating seagulls. That's what you're eating. <laughs> And you're in there going, is that a turkey? Oh, no, 100% it's a turkey. It's got web feet. Yeah, well, it's listen, it's very inbred. Okay, I don't trust you. Show me a live turkey. What about that small one there? Is that a turkey? Definitely a turkey. It's a pigeon. It's clearly a pigeon, isn't it? No, no, it's a turkey. Well, I can see there still has a message attached to its leg. That's the recipe. That's Delia Smith. Goes around and handwrites recipes on each turkey stroke pigeon. Show me a real turkey. Well, what about this one on my shoulder? The one. <laughs> <laughs> the multicolored macaw. It's, it's, it's yellow. It's, it's a turkey with jaundice. Now get out of the shop. <laughs> uh, no, well, thank you for mentioning Wales, though. Okay. Because we're now going to go to Wales for horse skull sing songs. <laughs> there's four words you didn't expect me to say today. Okay, are they? Can I guess what this is? Are please, they, please try. Are you holding it as a makeshift microphone? No. Is, this, is the skull? The skull is not currently in a horse. It's not a horse. Oh, no. It's not. You know when you see sometimes like a Chinese translation of an American film. If this yeah. isn't what the horse whisperer was called. <laughs> Horse skull sing songs. Oh my god, that'll be the greatest name for a movie ever in Beijing. He just thinks this is quite a hard horse to break its will until they brought the horse skull sing song in, and he, and he just leaned in the wind. No, remarkably, it's actually weirder than all of that. Oh, wow, in, in Wales, there is something called now, forgive me, Welsh people, because I do not speak any Welsh. 
Okay. Uh, and we found out in our live episode, I can't do a Newcastle accent, so I sure as hell can't do a Welsh accent. But it is something called Marilwyd. Okay. I'll, I'll ask Ellis James. We'll get him to... I'll get a voice note from Ellis James and he'll do it Excellent. Okay, okay, well, Marilwyd, again, I'm just reading it phonetically, is grey mare in English. And this is what you do. You get a real horse's skull, which obviously are quite big things, and you put it on a pole. And you hold it, and then you drape a cape over you so that you can't, none of you can be seen, and you look like a caped horse skull, skeleton, and you knock on your neighbor's door. And you sing in the hope that they will let you in to have a mince pie and a drink, and they will refuse. And they'll shut the door. And you knock again, they'll open the door, and you sing again, and they'll say no. And this keeps going until eventually your neighbor will relent. Yeah for whatever reason, and will allow you in, you will have a drink and some kind of a mince pie or a snack or whatever. And then you say goodbye and you move on to the next house. And this basically is all it is. Marie Lewid, Grey Mare, you, you dress up as a horse skeleton and sing for pints. That is exceptional. Isn't it? So so, so I, I have a horse's head on, on a stick. Mm-hmm. It's, by the way, horse skulls are terrifying. I've seen pictures and videos of these. My God. I mean, we know a horse's head is a long, weird thing. But when you see yeah. it as a skull, it's like, oh, my God. Is this why the Godfather wouldn't have been as scary in Wales? So like, <laughs> you're trying to threaten. Wasn't it a film producer or something? So in Wales, so anywhere else in the world, a horse's head in the bed is terrifying. Where you're saying that a Welsh lad gets the head and goes, oh, that's brilliant. And sticks it. <laughs> On a pole, and then I'll hold that till Christmas. He says, <laughs> take, it, take the skin off that and uh, give it back to me on the twenty fourth of December. And <laughs> I've never heard of that. I wonder is it like the Wren Boys? Yeah, uh, the Wren Boys is, is what is that Stephen's Day? Yeah, uh, St. Stephen's Day, which is Boxing Day to UK listeners, twenty sixth of December, and it's particularly. Um, it's particularly prevalent down kind of down in Kerry, that part of the country. So I wonder is I wonder is Grey Mare quite specific to certain parts of Wales? Maybe our Welsh f- our friends are getting in contact with us and let yeah, us know. Yeah, please do. That's um, fantastic. Would you like to skate to mass? <laughs> Any way my dear departed mother could get me to mass would be entirely <laughs> acceptable. Are we talking roller skates? Or are we talking yeah. ice skates? No, roller skates, roller blades. Basically, okay. Car- Caracas in Venezuela. Yes. I don't know how it began. I couldn't find the genesis of this particular uh, tradition. What happens is you don roller skates on Christmas mm. morning. Right. The roads are closed. This no. is like in the city, the roads are closed. And thousands, almost all of the city, thousands of people rollerblade and roller skate to their local church, wherever that is. People who can't rollerblade sit on their balconies and watch them rollerblade. Uh, it's a big thing. Like you would go and watch the Tour de France if it came to your town, or maybe you go and support people to do a marathon. It's all part of it. And this is the bit I find most interesting. You roller skate or blade into the church yeah. to your seat, and only then do you take off roller blades, put on shoes, because let's face it, if you're going up for communion or whatever, it would be a little bit awkward if everyone was rollerblading. And then as the mass ends, you stay in your seat, put your roller skates or blades back on, and then head out the door. I don't know where to start with that. When you say that it's like the Tour de France, are you suggesting that the rollerbladers should be periodically tested for <laughs> performance-enhancing 
scathing drugs. Some Should, kind of drugs. Do we get need to get Lara Dungan back on this show to talk about EPO, the prevalence of EPO in the Caracas rollerblading community? That, that's remarkable. I have to say, I have seen one better at mass. My dad's into his 80s now, and we went to a funeral once, and um, he sat on the outside. And what I like about 80-year-olds, anybody over 80, and some people below that, they just don't really care about what other people think about them. No. And the Eucharistic minister who was handing out communion, who isn't isn't a, a minister minister, but, you know, just hands out the communion, was walking down the church to give out communion. And you could see my dad going, well, I'm in my 80s. I'm not moving from here. So as she walked by, he just leaned out of the pew, right? With, like a dog looking out of <laughs> a car window with his mouth open and pointed to his mouth. And the woman didn't even break stride. She just threw it, just threw it like a wow. frisbee. And he caught it like a dog catching a frisbee or something in SeaWorld. <laughs> and the two of them kind of exchanged a knowing look as if they'd been through this Torvald and Dean uh, rigmarole before. It was epic. Wow. I mean, I would pay to see that at SeaWorld, if I'm honest with you. If there were 80-year-olds who could catch flying hosts in their mouth, I would pay to see that. Um, that's Caracas, but I do want to bring you to now, too. I think possibly the craziest place for Christmas traditions. Oh, you've, built, you've been building up. Catalonia. Oh, okay. Barcelona. So in and around that area, there yeah. are some hilarious traditions. Number For some reason, they all involve poo. I don't know why, right? But, Neil, simple question to you. Do you beat your log at Christmas? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it should be confined to any particular religious holiday. Well, apparently the Catalan poo log tradition is an amazing one where kids get a log, a standard, like, you know, round cylindrical log. Mm -hmm. And at the end of one end of the log, they draw a face, a happy face. Okay, okay. Which now, obviously, you know, humanizes this log. Mm. Then what you do is, you wait until it's bedtime and you get sticks and you beat the bejesus out of the log as a family, particularly right. kids. Yeah. And when you've spent all your energy and, and the log has submitted to you, <laughs> you get sent to bed as a child and yeah. you and your parents drape a blanket over the log and the little log face peers out of the blanket. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you, and you go to sleep. And when you wake up, the log will have pooed out the presents that you get for Christmas time. So you wow. wake up and the thing that you've beaten the living daylights out of has defecated your gifts and everyone's happy. <laughs> wow. Do you, do you hit the log with other smaller logs? Yeah. Like have you, have yeah. you turned the logs against each other? Is it a divide and conquer situation? <laughs> well, the sticks are the ones doing the violence. The okay. logs are the ones defecating the presents. Oh, that's the worst. I mean, the sticks are despicable in that, aren't they? Aren't they? Really despicable. Uh, and is the log then, is it burned or is it used for... for uh, we, honestly, we don't... I don't know. Like this, this is its, its sole job is to poo presents. And beyond that then, <laughs> I mean, I presume fire would be the only way, suitable way to dispose of such a, a generous but, but kicked individual. It's a bit like how people get phones into prison, isn't it? 
I don't think that's the method of getting them out, is all I'll say. No, no, but like you just <laughs> Jerry Jerry the log. What are they? He just lines up and they gently smack him. And he just who had the Nokia sixty two pen? That one's all oh. right, but whoever had the folding uh, Samsung, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> who had the iPad? <laughs> <laughs> We're, st- we're staying in Catalonia. This is one of my favorite things in the whole world that's ever happened. Now, I'm going to pronounce this wrong because I don't speak Catalan. I don't know how they would pronounce this, but it's C-A-G-A-N-E-R. In Spanish, Spanish, if I was looking at it, I would say Cajaner, which is a strange Spanish word, but that's probably why it's in Catalan, not Spanish. Caganer, I don't know what the word, how you pronounce it, but let's go with Caganer just for the argument's okay. sake. Okay. But here's the theory. The theory is that in the nativity, Again, we're bringing it back to virgin birth. In the nativity, there was Mary, Joseph, the three kings, the three wise men, some farm animals and everything. Mm. The theory in Catalan in Catalonia is there was another lad. And he's not famous and he's not well known because when Jesus was being born, I mean, at the moment of birth, yeah, he was a fair bit away, kind of up behind the, the stable, mm. the manger. Yeah. Because he was doing a poo. <laughs> okay. So this is the theory, right? The theory yeah. is this guy had come to witness the birth of the future king of the Jews. And just as Mary went, okay, I think it's happened. He went, Mrs. Listen, I'll be honest with you, I've been on the road for a while. And the burrito <laughs> I had in the last services has, yeah. has wrecked me. I have to go and take care of business. And off he went. And as a result, now in Catalonia, he is put into nativity scenes with his pants down, but far away from the nativity bit. In the middle, he used to be at the back doing a poo. Like he's a figure in the crib. Yeah, and the thing is, it's a game with kids. You go along to a crib and you go find the Kaganer. Where no, is he? Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> First of all, can you imagine, like, you know those people who kind of left the 1999 Champions League final? <laughs> I know a few of them. I do know them, yeah. You know, yeah, like... That's one thing. Missing the birth of the Messiah because you have to take a shit. I mean, that has to be the ultimate. The I mean, you hold it in. Oh, you'd, you'd have hold, to. That's amazing. Mm. I'd imagine then, um, if it's so widespread in Catalonia, my friend told me about this, and I think his sister lives in Catalonia. It's not ringing a bell. But I'm assuming then that you can get those, like you can get a little plastic figure. In a similar you can buy... Buy, like you buy Mary and Jesus and the baby in the crib and the wise men and the donkey and yeah. The whatever. Yeah, it, it, you buy the Kaganer and you and the thing is you play, as I said, play a game with your kids. That's and you go, go and find him. Where is he? He's off love, doing a poo. I love the idea that it's a different tradition there and there's a different tradition in the next place. Mm. I broke one of the wise men when I was seven or eight. And, um, <laughs> Didn't we all? Yeah, and I couldn't and I replaced it with He-Man. <laughs> So that's what, and then I broke another one and my mother never addressed it. So there was one year where the crib basically had Joseph, Mary, Jesus, a donkey, one wise man, Skeletor, He-Man, and the cow was Battle Cat. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So the cow, like, and he had the little saddle on him and everything. Yeah, that's brilliant. kind of amazing. 
Oh, that is amazing. That, I wish that was a tradition that we had to f- hide, like the the child's cartoon figure in the crib. And there was a year that my hometown had to put plexiglass in front of the crib because a fella, and this you see this all around now, mm. but a fella fell asleep coming home from from a few pints in the warm, straw laden major. Yeah. In the crib, yeah, yeah. So you know that phrase, Brilliant. where is Granny? Oh, Granny's now sleeping with Jesus. What, she's in the town square, is she? Is that where she is? <laughs> uh, okay, coming up in a few minutes' time, we're going to be joined by the brilliant evolutionary biologist, Simon Watt, who's going to tell us all about virgin births. And they're actually real. They're called parthenogenesis. They happen in real life in the animal kingdom. We'll investigate it all in a few minutes right here on Why Would You Tell Me That? Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? And today we are joined by evolutionary biologist and returning guest who has been pilfered from Neil Delamere. It is Mr. Simon Watt. How are you, sir? It's good to be back. (laughs) Neil was a bit disappointed that I had uh, rifled through his phone, found your number, given you a call and brought you here without his knowing. 
Oh, he doesn't know that I prefer you now. Like, you know, we're... uh... Oh, I mean, that was implied, but there was no need to stick the feckin' knife in so early, Simon. No, it's me, see, because Neil came and did some of my shows in Edinburgh, and that was enough to put me off, you know. uh... (laughs) Yeah, overexposure can do that sometimes, yeah. Overexposure, yeah. It's funny how first impression and overexposure are so intertwined (laughs) in my life. I've got a stab mark in my back, and I was going to say, like, the Myers surname toad, but I don't want to give you the credit of giving me that knowledge. (laughs) The good news is that Simon Watt, who of course did bring us the Meyer Suriname Toad, that terrifying animal in season one, is now about to bring us something else called Parthenogenesis. So Simon, it is that time of year where certain people of a certain religious persuasion, and then most people of a non-religious <laughs> persuasion, celebrate the birth of a human being who came from a virgin scenario, which I'm pretty sure we can automatically rule out in terms of humans nowadays, right? Well, Yes, no matter what we want to believe about our mothers, um, like I think it does say an awful lot about the Irish psyche how we do prefer Mary to Jesus ultimately. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like you know, you go up and down the whole country. When I, I was when I was a kid, I going to a beach in was a beach in Donegal near an old friary, and I was always confused. Why is it this woman in phone boxes all over the place? Because they've got they're covered in these wee shrines. I just confused the wooden village, anyway. Yeah, but yes, I suppose we're here to talk about virgin birth and the the, the many and weird ways in which that happens in nature and you have highlighted one thing there which is that mammals Mm. so hairy creatures like you me and neil in particular we don't (laughs) do this this is something which is a bit different um we have not found any parthenogenesis any virgin birth in humans or any mammal yet and yes yet is always an important word i think to use in these scenarios but is that because we as mammals don't possess the ingredients, I suppose, if for want of a better term, I'm sure that's a better uh, biological term, but we don't possess what is required within us to make a, a version of ourselves. Well, no, because like ultimately all you really need is genetics. Right. And then you've got the whole kind of uh, weirdness of sexual reproduction, which does things to get in the way of you reproducing yourself. <laughs> um and then there, you get a couple of species which have done something strange because they've needed to find a way of reverting to asexual. So, so there's a couple of things we have to really think about here. First of all, is that like asexual reproduction, reproducing without the need of somebody or something else, um, was the default. That's the one that begins. But then when sex comes along, it is massively successful. As we know from showgirls, sex sells. You know, this is one of those those things. And I can say that because I grew up in the border and I remember whenever all the uh, the Republic was nipping across to get to see showgirls. But anyway, anyway, that's besides the point, right? That sex is about 1,500 million years old. Um, it took off first in bacteria and now the vast, vast majority of all animals and plants are sexual. So, you know, it, it was something that took off and was successful for many reasons. Is the success of sex simply that it's it's the diversity of genetics coming together that creates new life and healthy life. Yeah, it's that you can shuffle. That's ultimately mm. it. Is that like if you think of it, whenever you've got um, two sexy beings come together, they're both survivors, right? So you're getting those genes that have survived mixing and forming new combinations, and the ones that are less successful die out. So in places where where you need variety, sex is successful, right? So there's a suggestion there that you, you, you might have to reproduce yourself in in certain circumstances when it's needed, i.e., I'm assuming that where there wouldn't be a mate. Yeah, and it does seem to be that there is 
certain things in common when we see this uh, asexual nature reasserting itself. And parthenogenesis is one of the ways in which sexual creatures kind of return to being asexual. So, so let's let's we have to think we have to take a wee step back, right? So the very beginning point where things don't need a mate, they're just literally cloning themselves. They've got a bunch of cells which are them, and they go off and make a whole new individual, which is still kind of them. It's genetically the same. But then whenever you get creatures which have been sexual for, you know, all sorts of species which have been sexual for millennia, and something happens where they don't have access, then there'd be an evolutionary pressure, there'd be a need to revert to this sort of asexual way of being. And usually that amounts to either some kind of stress, right? Because what you have to remember, men are expensive, <laughs> okay? And again, as, as three lads in this, we, we may argue otherwise, you know, but, but we are the ones which are a waste of time. In fact, they call it the twofold cost of sex, um, which I always think is like biologists slang for like drinks on dinner. But right. it's really... <laughs> It is really because men, we can't reproduce ourselves. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And therefore, we're also a waste of resource to all the women who have to go out and find us or taken up their food and drink and, and resource, you know. So then why would would sex be so successful? It, ultimately, is the amount of resources spent on us men actually worth it because of the diversity and everything else? variety is worth it variety. ultimately right and okay. of course of course kind of variety is worth it when we think of we we also live in uh that, that variety is not just to be able to like occupy different geographies and different niches and different environments it's also useful to be able to occupy different times like the the ultimate thing which produces variety is things are going to change you know if your genes suit now they won't soon suit uh 20 years time because if nothing else, you've got like viruses and things which are circulating and are always going to be putting pressure. Like everything that eats you is going to be putting pressure on you. Yeah. So it's not just the environment environment, it's the living environment. You know, if you're suited to now, you won't be suited to the future. That's kind of inherent. So if you say there's no humans and there's no mammals that this um, uh, virgin birth has been has been discovered in, what is the kind of most complex creature that has uh, availed itself of parthenogenesis. So even, even complex is a wee bit tricky, but we'd say probably that the recent findings in birds are where, where this mm. really kicks off. And uh, turkeys have been known to do it. And again, here's, so wait, actually, Joe, let's look, skip back a wee bit slightly, because first of all, we've got that thing of where uh, men are costly, therefore where there's resource scarcity. The other thing is actually where there's male scarcity. So like right. we get species out landing on islands and stuff. Oh, the Komodo dragons, that they're, they're famously, they only live on those three Indonesian islands. So famously, when there aren't enough men to go around, which happens quite regularly, the females also uh, use parthenogenesis, right? You see, Neil, he's done his homework here. Right, that's it. So I a think the bit. island living might be it. And what's another thing we see birds able to do quite a bit? They can get to new weird environments, right? Like they're the ones that colonize because flight, you know, gives it. So I do wonder if that's one of the reasons you see it. Or in the places where we've found parthenogenesis, there's a thing called the Californian condor. It is a weird, not a vulture that looks like a vulture. It's yeah. convergently evolved to be like a vulture. And sure, one of the reasons we know that it's got this parthenogenesis is because we're studying them really closely because they are on the brink of extinction. Aren't they? Yeah. Okay. So it could be, again, that the being on the brink of extinction has given them this pressure to become parthenogenic. Or we're looking at them closely enough to see that this is a thing that happens. But isn't it the case as well that the 
that the parthenogenesis within the Condor community isn't actually going that well in the sense that the young that are born are dying quicker than... I, I, I do love that you said Condor community, implying that's like a life choice, like a style. <laughs> <laughs> uh... When it comes to sex, I mean, you know. Well, look, I suppose that they find it happening at least twice. And yeah, sure enough, it does seem to be that an awful lot of the ones that have undergone this have died. But again, there there would be that pressure. Like if you've got your populations crashing, uh, the one female that can suddenly reproduce um, is at a massive advantage. And what's also a bit cool here is that they have a mechanism of getting a bit of variety down the line. And this is true of the Komodo dragons as well, because a female, if it reproduces asexually, it's not cloning itself as such, oh, um, but it's able to produce males. So, am I right in thinking that in insects, this happens a lot, parthenogenesis in general, um, and that fertilized eggs are female and non-fertilized are male? Insects all over the place, right? Right. But the the, the version you've talked about there, um, that's what you get in ants. Uh, in, in Hymenoptera. So like in most cases, and again, the thing is that they are so massively varied, it's even hard to pin down one system for them. And is that happening at the same time? So when you, when yeah. you say, when you say, so you have an ant, right? And an ant has sex and some of the eggs are fertilized in the same cycle. Some of the eggs are fertilized and some of the eggs are not fertilized and one becomes one sex and one becomes another sex. Well, cycle is a, is a weird idea in, in its own right. Ants don't have periods. It, yeah, like, yeah. What they do in there, if you're talking about a cycle, like for them, a cycle might be the life of a queen. Right. So they go for... Uh, 96 years. Your little princesses. <laughs> <laughs> too soon, Neil. Too soon, is it? <laughs> no, do you know what, though? Because this, this is actually a confusing thing, is that because everybody tends to think of ants as monarchies. Now you say that because they've got yeah. a queen, of course, which is, is nonsense because they're actually, they're closely to... To anarchies like there's no order the queen is not in charge oh the order is emerging and it's basically the queen is like the um reproductive organs of the colony which, which if if that was true for you know queen elizabeth then she probably wouldn't have lived as long let's be honest <laughs> that's fair <laughs> but anyway like, like the, the the point here is that they will go on their nuptial flight the princesses get their wings the princes get their wings i'm generalizing here but this is kind of how they work they go on a nuptial flight which is like a very brief honeymoon where the male latches onto the female, uh, copulates and dies very often at the same time. I mean, like for a lot of the bees, they literally rip their manhood off inside mm. the female to continue doing its good job while they run off and bleed to death. Wow. You know, if we cry after sex, that's just completely different reasons. <laughs> no. there's, a, there's, a, there's an account, I think it might be on Instagram. It's definitely on Instagram now. It might have started somewhere else called Nature is Metal. Uh, and it is basically things like this it is like just examples of how nature is so metal i will reproduce pull off my manhood and bleed to death and then it's like what is happening with the world i also think that's the plot of copperfest jacks the musical i think <laughs> but your point here is that the female like the, the queen she yeah. will then use that sperm for her like her her lifetime supply or candy Along right. those lines. Okay. So it varies from species to species exactly, but that's the, the general. And the uh, fertile, the eggs which she produces, which are fertilized, those will produce and grow into uh, to females, into workers. And the ones which are unfertilized will grow into the males. So this means that males have got one copy of the genes. They're, they're 
haploid, uh, females have two copies and are diploid. Now, this is another weird kind of outcome, right? Which it means that if, if this is kind of the, the, the way that this works, this means that all the sisters, all the workers, are more closely related to each other than we are to our siblings. Because like, if you've got siblings, you've got half your genes from your mum, half your genes from your dad. Each of you have got a different half, so you end up being half related. Yeah. Are you with yeah. me so far? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but if you've got like two copies of chromosomes, so you've got half from your mum and um, 100% from your dad, right? So you've got two copies compared yeah. to like any offspring that you produce, you know, by mating. So if, if one of the workers decided to get jiggy with a drone, yeah. their kids would only have 0.5 relatedness. If they get the queen to produce more sisters, they've got 0.75. They're more related to their sisters than they would be to their own children. I've just realized something, and I love when I just realized something during an episode. I am some kind of haploid, diploid, something. Listen to this for a second, right? My dad and his brother... I don't Mark. like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I think this ends up in Henry VIII, and I think you cause a massive schism with the Catholic Church. No, no. Bear with me for a second. My dad and his brother married my mum and her sister. Okay? So, yeah. Simon, would it be the case that myself and my cousin from the same... Just so the marriage over there... Would we be genetically closer than I am to either of my parents? Would 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 I be 0.75 with my cousin, but only 0.5 with my parents? No. Oh. But, but it is still weird. So don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, because because what, what it probably does mean is that you are more closely related to your cousins than, than your than, other people. Than, I don't want to say yeah. normal people, but you know sure. what I mean. Like, sure. <laughs> Well, that's not even the weirdest part of that story. The weirdest part of that story is that when my parents got together, that my dad was actually on a date with the other sister and each of them brought their sibling along and swapped. Do you know what you've got to be worried about here is if this is the bits they're telling you, right? <laughs> <laughs> fair. That is absolutely fair. Unless your aunt is an aunt. <laughs> This doesn't necessarily work. <laughs> is there any animal that exclusively replicates itself by parthenogenesis? Yeah, lots. L lots and lots of the lizards. Oh, okay. There is a thing that is called the unisexual mole salamander. <laughs> what an amazing name. Yeah, like, again, like unisexual is a weird idea. Like, I, like it's, It sounds like maybe... The result of riding a unicycle, to be honest, doesn't it? <laughs> if you've ever tried to get one of the on one of those, you you always sit on yourself. And maybe I'm sharing too much here. Like I've given it a go. Maybe that's how it ends up that way. But um, so what I, what they do is they are they're a weird thing. I think they're from New Mexico, and they have been parthenogenic, asexual for millions and millions of years. They they lost the need for males. They're entirely female. But in order to produce their eggs, they still need the sperm of a male. What? Okay? Yeah. So, so again, one of the problems is that those, those asexual species from millions of years ago and all those like bacteria and stuff, they just like, you know, pop, clone, done. Job, yeah. job done. Yeah. Off you go. 
and a whole ton of them do sexual for when they want variety and asexual when they want to be fast. You know, they've got both toolkits going. But for something like this, they've still got the baggage of sex because their history was being sexual. So, like, to make an egg be fertilized, you need all kinds of chemical reactions and things, okay? And for the case of this this salamander, there, there's something here, and I'm sure there's studies being done on this, to work out what it is that it needs from these packets of sperm in order to make the egg develop. So what it does, because it needs packets of sperm, yeah. it uses sperm from other species. No. And in the parts of like of uh, of of America, they have got these, and they can nick the sperm from loads of different males. Of like, I think five is the uh, is as high as it's gone. Different species of related salamanders. Oh, I didn't like the way you just stopped at the word five there. I thought you were talking about the band. <laughs> <laughs> they nick the sperm of five. Abs is wow. there. Going on, man. You want to nick my sperm? <laughs> I used to be in five. I'm not in five anymore. You want my sperm? You got it. <laughs> dirty salamander is this going to be one of those after they were famous things yeah. <laughs> I was going to say this has turned a bit blue but apparently they hey! can give their sperm to, <laughs> to a different type of lizard so when you say nick the sperm how like did it did it just ju- just jump like line of fire <laughs> in front of a spouting penis <laughs> no but like you know, Cirque du Soleil are listening. Like, this will be in their act eventually. <laughs> just somebody jumping. In. I just have this image of a salamander in goggles. Just jumping. In. With a tiny, a, a tiny pipette. Just yeah. Grab it so, yeah, how do they steal it? You know the way that, say, like most fish and most frogs and stuff, like the female comes along, lays her eggs, the male comes along. And then they're fertilized. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in their case, it's kind of the males will find fertile territory. Literally, I suppose in this case, and leave little packets of sperm. So they just have right. to go along, find one, nick it, and go off and do what they so do. So it's like a jizz treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Why, when Simon Watt is on this, this podcast, are we always reduced <laughs> to jizz? That's all I want to know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, hold on now, Simon. Simon is the person who said in the se- for season one the phrase "frog bukaki." So, yeah, so well, you you've now said "jizz treasure hunt," which is something that tops uh, it. That, is, that definitely tops it. <laughs> um, okay, okay, right. So that might be that might be how they do it. Right. There's another species which is a wee bit similar. Are these the lesbian lizards? Please tell them about the lesbian lizards. Oh no, we'll come to those, right? Okay, okay, because okay. so in between, so like you can see here, they've got the um the legacy of sex left over is that you need the 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 chemical. You, yeah. you need the chemical that activates the sperm. What's weirder still is that every so often they do use some of the genes. So ninety-nine percent of the cases, whatever it is, yeah. I would almost said ninety-nine, like that's not sure. the stat. Whatever the yeah, correct right, stat yeah. is, the majority yeah. of the cases. This just triggers the thing which allows them to parthenogenically, asexually reproduce. Right? Yeah. So they, they don't use the actual sperm. Most they of don't. Them. Okay. They, well, yeah. they, they use the, the sperm. They don't use the extra genes. They switch them the off. Genes, they eliminate yeah. them. Yeah. Whatever okay. it is. Yeah. In some cases, they do end up 
using that DNA. And they go all, you know, we were talking earlier about like being haploid, diploid. Yeah. Um, they can up be, end up being what you call polyploid. So like I think in the most extreme case, they can have up to five sets of chromosomes. Oh, of chromosomes. Oh, wow. And they're using them for something. And I think what this might, this, this might actually even partly explain why in an area where there isn't the resource scarcity and where it isn't an island, where you don't have maybe the same consistent conditions, which mean that, you know, these genes, these genes that we're going to keep cloning and keep using, they're perfect. They're just right for this environment. It could be like a wee bit of spice, which changes the whole recipe. Like they they just occasionally need a wee injection of just a wee bit of variety. Now that is speculation because, because they're, nobody really knows where this happens. It did cross my mind that they've been, if they've been asexual for so long, Again, my understanding of it would have been that well, then that would lead to degradation of the genetic information because there's no variety. But you're saying every now and again they do need the variety. But in the in the long term overall process, they're able to exist because they are right for the environment and they don't need to change. Is that right? Yeah, and do you know what? Like the the, the degradation thing is um is a, is a funny idea as well because you're right. Like if you that sort of thing of the more copies you make, the more mistakes you make. But if you keep weeding out all the sticks with that handy tool of death, then the ones which survive are still good. So you do get things like um, elephant seals are like coincidentally a good example of this, where they we know genetically they went under what you call a population bottleneck, like they nearly got wiped out. And they've come back and they're not very varied. And they're doing grand, you know, like if you've got the right genes, it doesn't really matter what they are. But as I said, varieties good in general because the world is a changing place and it helps you get into new environments and stuff. And another one which has got something, that one's particularly weird because of having this thing of, ah, we're mostly parthenogenic. But every now and again. 100% our mum's DNA. But we'll, we'll nick a bit of DNA. So, so actually, let's, let's get rid of this. First, we'll nick some sperm for that. Mm. And then we'll occasionally nick a bit of DNA. Oh, and have we mentioned it's from completely different species? Oh, no, it's actually from like five different species. Like this is beyond thruple. You know, this is like whatever (laughs) mechanism this is. This isn't even searchable on Pornhub. They don't even have this category. That's how completely out there this is. I've just checked and Jay's treasure hunt is there. So... So we're good with that one. <laughs> Do you know the way people often ask you, what if you had a production company, what would you call it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's either Frog Bukaki or Jizz <laughs> Either way, the movies are tanking, I'll tell you that much. Okay. Or yeah, doing exceptionally well on DVD. <laughs> tell me about tell us about the lesbian lizards though. Oh no, okay, sorry, can we give it to the one between? Oh, between? Sorry, yeah, 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 of course, of course. So there's a, a species called the Amazon Molly. And it's, we can again genetically tell that it is a fairly recent in, you know, uh, animal terms, hybrid between two, two other species which came into contact with each other. And it does this thing again of, uh, it, it, it reproduces parthenogenically. All of the kids are 100% the genes of the mum. Uh, but in its case, it needs to nick sperm. But they have a kind of... Uh, they they don't have packets lying around, right? So they're they're literally looking for related closely related species. The two things that's kind of a hybrid of. They're just looking for anybody who's along, um, and like rubbing up against each other to to make the eggs and the sperm come into contact, and they just nip in. So this is almost like what Neil was describing. They just they just rather than trying to catch it, they're just getting involved. They go full gooseberry. They like launch in as we 
lucky Pierre, I think is the technical phrase, if it helps, <laughs> and then make off of what they need and that's them done. Wow. But then there's the lesbian lizards, right? That's the, okay, that's okay, the next okay. one. So in, the, in their case, so the lesbian whiptail lizards uh, are, again, they've got relatives which are sexual. Yeah. Um, and in them, I think they're cool because it, they, in them you can see maybe the sort of last remnants of sex because they do produce eggs parthenogenically. Um, they've got all the same genes as the mums, but they, they've got something behavioral which triggers ovulation. This is amazing, Neil. This is amazing. Go on. And for that to happen, they, they have to have sex. One of the lizards will come along. She has a surge in testosterone and acts like a male of the other species, gets real horned up, basically, and mounts the other one. And the other one then produces its, its eggs, starts laying eggs. Wow. So it's a vestige of sex at some point when there was a male and a female lizard. and But something in that act just triggers something in the lizard and it ovulates. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's amazing. Wow. Now, I'm anthropomorphizing, I don't even know that's the word, but I, I'm projecting onto these animals things that do not exist, okay? But what I want to know is, how do they know what to do? I know they don't know what to do, and it just happens because it's evolution and it's biology. And it's what, they're not, but you know the way you, you kind of describe some, th- some things like where some eggs of ants are fertilized and some eggs are not fertilized. Some... Uh, Let's be honest, mate. We, we we all went through Irish schooling systems. How do we know what to do? Well, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I suppose what I mean is, how do they not just how do they not just die out? How do they just go? Oh, is it just literally that will to survive that somewhere along the way triggered asexual reproduction, rather than just a species going, well, there's no male, so I'm done. Well, well, I suppose it's it's that thing of just there there might have been fewer males, and then the ones that could read reproduce asexually were at an advantage i suppose we can remember and this is like very dangerous liaisons but this idea of of love is war is is completely true like there's all sorts of genetic and physiological conflicts constantly um between males and, and females like have you heard of a liger yes, yes. Mixture between a lion and a tiger. In fact, Neil, in the movie Napoleon Dynamite that we did earlier in this season, and we talked about a movie that broke Netflix, he drew ligers all the time. He was obsessed with drawing ligers, and his drawing skills are so bad. But you've got to see Napoleon Dynamite's ligers. Google it's that. also if the Tiger King joins the Lions Clubs, you know the Lions Clubs around Ireland, <laughs> um, you get a liger. <laughs> well, the, the important bit is which way round is it? Because yes. why do you get a liger and not a tigon? Oh, that's good. It's man, it, it's the male female thing, isn't it? Yeah. So which which way around? Have a guess. Um, uh, well, we live in a patriarchal society. I assume the lion is the male and the tiger is the female. And that's why we call it a liger. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And a tigon is the other way around. Right. Gotcha. And kind of the, the weird thing here is like the biggest cat is a liger. A liger is bigger than a lion and a tiger, and a tiger is smaller than a lion and a tiger. And the reason for that is what you call a bit of genetic conflict. It is as a bit of a war in utero. So this is all down to the two mating systems. Tigers are, are solitary, right? They come together, they mate, and then they clear off. Dad yeah. doesn't hang around. And the female is unlikely to bump into any other males, and uh, therefore 
female tiger has a litter. Pretty much all the dads, sorry, all the kids have got one dad. Mm. Okay. Uh, lions, they've got this huge, big social structure. And the female will mate with the alpha, say, but she'll probably have a wee sneaky good time with a beta as well here and there. So most um, lioness cubs, most lioness litters have got multiple fathers. So okay. we call multi-male mating. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that's very good for the mum because it does two things. One, it confuses parenthood. That is u- genuinely useful. It means that uh, alpha and beta and the other beta are less likely to kill the cubs should the op- opportunity arise because it might be theirs. They, okay. That bit of doubt is useful. Yeah. Um, but also variety. As we said, variety is good. So let's imagine you're one of these lion dads. You've evolved in a system where inside mum, the babies are fighting for resource because if you're not related to oh, all the yeah, other cubs in there then you don't want them getting all those nutrients and so the male lion has got genes saying take your mommy for all she's worth get as many nutrients out of her as you can because if you don't one of your siblings is going to right okay with me so far that, that yes, makes sense. Totally, totally. You're, you're half brother or your half sister in the lion womb in the lion womb, yeah. So you yeah, got this okay. conflict, and in fact, it's one of those sort of things that you see that generally the the genetics behind a lot of these things, like uh, even in humans, placentas, uh, that's all paternally controlled. That's like Ooh. a thing that the, the dad genes are saying, get everything you can from your mum. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's the system you have in lions. Okay. Mum doesn't want this because, of course, mum is related to all of the lion cubs. So she's got genes which say, steady on those genes saying, take me for all the energy. I'm going to evenly distribute this. We will have fairness. Stop fighting. You know. So that's the system which is in the lions. Mm. Tigers have got none of that. Tigers don't need any of that because they've got the one mum, they've got the one dad. Yes. So now let's put a lion dads with a mum tiger. And the developing fetus has got those genes saying, get as much from your mum as you can. And mum's got no genetic defense. Right. Right? Nothing defended. So that's why the liger cub is grows into something massive. That is why ligers are bigger than than tigers and lions. Wow. So do you see that kind of genetic conflict there is there? Mm. Right? And that is rife in in all of this stuff. And the most extreme example I can think of this is another one of these ones, which is inter interspecies, okay? Sea squirts. Do you know sea squirts? They stick onto to rocks and they stay there. No, but they sound terrifying. Uh, no, they're, 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 well... As cute as a thing which looks like a blob of jelly can be. Okay, you know, right, right, you know, right. Tentacles and stuff. Um, but they're, they're anchored. That's the whole point. Like, they can't move around, right? Yeah. So, so territory really, really matters to them. And there's a, there's at least uh, two species of sea squirt out there, um, which have got this really amazing thing where they're, they're closely related enough that they can hybridize, like, sorry, the, the sperm of one can fertilize the eggs of the other, but it doesn't produce viable offspring. Like, they'll develop and they'll die. Oh. Like, it's, it's one of those ones. Right. Um, and they do this aggressively. Why? To stop the other sea squirt taking territory. Oh, my God. So as they will be reproducing their eggs and, like, they're growing their new little babies off and they're... It's a turf. It's a bit like, you know, like the risk map. They're taking over territory. Yeah. And if they can fertilize the eggs of the other one to stop them taking more territory, they will. So they'll literally, like, sabotage fertilize. Yeah. Sabotage fertilization. I like that. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's incredible. 
Just worried about how quickly you coined that phrase. That's <laughs> oh, jeez, treasure hunt boy. <laughs> worried about how quickly I'm coining phrases. Uh, Simon, to wrap up, uh, sharks are strange creatures. I know hammerheads, for example, reproduce in this kind of way. Isn't there a case of a shark in captivity in Australia? I think her name was Leonie, a zebra shark, who just had no access to male sharks, so she was in captivity, and then just went, look, I've got hatched pups now. Here they are. And there were three living pups. Yeah, but again, that's not um, not as mad as, as you might think in fish. So yeah, it's another example of one of those surprising parthenogenesis things. And I'm going to bet that actually it's way more common than we realize. I mean, like that shark happened to be in captivity. Okay, right. so it's one of the places where we can see this kind of stuff. The ocean is deep and wide, and I'll bet all sorts of stuff. To, to, like this is this is completely tangential, but like yeah. it's another good example because just earlier, I know we were talking about those systems of determining what was male and what was female. Um, have you seen Finding Nemo? Yeah, clownfish. Can I ruin Finding Nemo for you? Oh, I think I might know where you're going with this, but go for it. So what happens in Finding Nemo is it's a, it's a real tragedy. Mum dies and then dad is left to leave. Spoiler, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> it's been a while. I think you're okay. Yeah. Now what happens in reality, if that was the case, is that mum dies... Dad swaps sex and becomes a new mum, and Nemo grows up to be a new male and ends up be a very different movie. That's all I'm saying. Okay, <laughs> hang on. Does Nemo end up with his mum, who was his dad? Maybe. Now, the, the, the point here again is that it's what's the point of a sex in this case? And in this case, it is that eggs are costly eggs. to produce, yeah. right? So, if you're going to be making something that expensive, it's best to be big. Right? Gotcha. And so age, how do you get to be big? You live longer. Live long. So some species of fish, it's better to be a male because the males fight for access for reproduction. Mm. So they start as female and then become male. I think you're safe enough when you said the spoiler alert because I think the amount of people listening who will be offended by the uh, you giving away the cartoon who are still listening after Jizz <laughs> Treasure Hunt. I think that's quite a small area of overlap. Like if you st- if your kids are still listening to this <laughs> after we've done that stuff. Well, fair play. Uh, Simon Watt, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. But that was phenomenal. We will definitely have to steal you back maybe to Neil's side for season three or season four. But thank you so much as always. Thanks, Simon. Lovely talking to you both again. Have a good one. Merry Christmas. Right, welcome back to part three, the final part of this episode and the final part of this season of Why Would You Tell Me That? Neil, do you think we crowned off the series? <laughs> I don't know if that's a phrase, but well enough with Simon Watt and, oh. and, and Virgin Birth? That was amazing. I didn't realize, uh, I mean, we know from talking to Simon before the levels of different sexual reproduction in the world and there's weird ways that the sperm meets the egg and all the rest. Mm. I didn't realize that there were so many ways where 
there is no sperm involved or there's a halfway house. And the great thing about Simon is when he started talking about lions and tigers and he, he can he can go on a tangent and it's still as entertaining as the stuff you kind of booked him for. Totally. Absolutely brilliant, I have to say. Yeah, I can see why you'd have him back. Yeah, that was uh, me stealing him off you. But as I said, I'm sure you'll steal him back again for another episode in season three or season four. Speaking of which, season three of this podcast will be back in February 2023. Uh, so please listen. The only way you'll know that we're coming back, apart from keeping an eye on our social media, is by subscribing or following or whatever it is. So please do that. And we we are planning. Are we going to say this, Neil? We are yeah. on having a major announcement at the start of season three. So please follow and subscribe now to not miss out on that. We're very excited about what might be happening. And we will tell you about that in the new year. I'm going to asexually reproduce and we're going to have a third person on the podcast because it's much easier for them to do the edit. <laughs> That's my plan. All right, listen, everyone have a great Christmas. Uh, this was, of course, recorded around Christmas time. You may be listening to this in the high summer. We apologize, but that was why the whole virgin birth idea came along as an episode. So have a great one, whatever time of the year it is. If it's the next year, enjoy it next Christmas and see you again soon. See you soon. And also buy my tickets. Oh, for God's sake, buy his tickets for Christmas. Yeah, well, well, anytime you're listening to this, I'm on tour. I'm That's just a true. tourer. I am a tourer. I'm the littlest hobo. Maybe tomorrow I'm going to settle down. But until tomorrow, <laughs> the whole world is my home. Happy Christmas, everybody. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 